Welcome to the new automation mindset where AI automation and integration come together. Successful automation is so much more than technology, it's a mindset. On this podcast, we're here to learn about this mindset from innovative leaders who actually practice it every single day. From Fortune 500 companies to the boldest startups, these leaders have reduced cost, crafted experience, and fueled growth with automation. They have transformed their companies and their careers. I'm your host, Marcus Zern. And as Chief Strategy Officer and part of the founding executive team at Workado, it is my mission to find these top innovators in AI, automation, and integration and share their journeys with all of you. You may notice that this show matches the title of the Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling book, The New Automation Mindset by our Workado CEO, Vijay Tella. You'll hear references to the key ideas of this book, the growth, process, and scale mindsets throughout the show. If you'd like to explore them further, be sure to check out the book in hard copy or on Kindle. Ted, welcome, welcome to the show, the new automation mindset. So it's a, it's a, a, a great pleasure to have you on. Uh, so for the audience, so Ted Sheldon, he is uh, Bain Consulting's global head of business process redesign. Uh, so really knows automation and that kind of stuff uh, well. The first time we talked, you know, I started to explain Workado and, and Ted was like, now nah, you can stop, Marcus. It's like, I, I know, I know what you guys do. <laughs> because Ted, for a little while, he was the CEO of a company called Catalytic that we competed back, uh, back then with. So he knows that stuff. And then maybe up front, and this kind of brings us to, uh, you're going to tell us what your uh, the picture is uh, uh, behind you there. Um, so Ted is a real AI nerd, and he was way, way, way before anybody else was. So last summer, the, the, the story really goes, last summer, I think we were at a conference together over in Miami, and, and you were like AI, AI, AI. And, 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 and every thought, everybody was kind of thinking, like, what does he want with this AI stuff? Uh, and now, like a year later, I think everybody goes like... Uh, Oh my God, he was like a year ahead of us. So, so that that's Ted. Um, again, I every time I talk to Ted, I, I learn something new. It's uh, and then I would also recommend uh, on LinkedIn Ted's writing about uh, about AI and and questions around AI. It's uh, it's worth every single read uh, for sure. So, Ted, welcome welcome to the show. And maybe maybe to start off with, I mean, you know AI well, you know automation well. How do you think about these two? Because, you know, when you think about it in a, in a bigger context, it seems to me like they kind of fall in somewhat of the same bucket. I mean, you know, if, if, if you're a customer and you, you go about AI, you go about automation, at the end, you want to make your company more efficient, you more productive. It's kind of like the same goal. Do you think of them as being complementary or do you think of them, you know, maybe is AI superseding automation? Like what's, what's, what's your take? Well, first of all, Marcus, thank you for the very kind introduction um, and also for having me on the show today. Let me let me start with uh, a little bit of background on how I got involved in automation and AI, because I think it helps answer the question of how I think that they're connected. Mm -hmm. You know, about 10 years ago, uh, I was in a consulting role where I had the opportunity to start trying to implement 
obviously much earlier AI models than what we're playing with today with uh, with generative AI. Um, but computer vision, natural language processing, natural language generation. And what I found was that while um, it was a fantastic set of tools for performing particular tasks, that there were two challenges of using them. One was how do you get the appropriate data into the model that you're working with? And then once you've generated an insight, how do you get the insight inserted into a business process or workflow? Uh, and so I actually came at automation through the lens of AI. Um, I found that automation was the way mm -hmm. to start organizing and inserting data into models. And then once the model ran and gave whatever the insight, whatever the purpose was for the model, then how uh, automation again could then take that insight and insert it into the, the business process or workflow. So I have always seen them as really being entirely interlinked. And, you know, this latest version, generative AI, which, you know, we've all started to get our heads wrapped around. Uh, well, most of us have started as of November 30th of 2022, but, but all of us have started over the last couple of years. Um, it's really just the next flavor, the next expansion of, of the set of use cases that we can use these um, uh, machine intelligence systems on. And they still have the same problem. They still need to accept information from somewhere and put information back somewhere. And we need automation and AI together. Um, I think there's a longer answer to the question about does automation replace, or rather does AI replace automation, um, which maybe we can get to over the course of the show, because I do think there's some really interesting ways to start thinking about what AI can do for us in the future that starts to really change how we think about what automation even is. Let's, so, so the one thing I, I, I mentioned before, and that we didn't get to the picture uh, behind you, tell us, because I think that goes back to the story that you were ahead of, uh, of people on the AI side. I think you were playing with Dali, right? T t tell yeah. us about how this, uh, what this picture is all about. Um, so, so this is one of my early uh, attempts at producing something with Dali. Um, Dolly, for those of you who don't know, is uh, image generation technology from OpenAI. Um, and Bain had the good fortune of getting introduced to OpenAI very early, long, long before the introduction of ChatGPT. And, uh, and so we had access, uh, actually, to these, some of these models quite early. Um, and uh, so I, I gave it the prompt. It was something like um, uh, ex-presidents riding motorcycles in the style of Salvador Dolly. Because Dolly, you know, Dolly, right? Um, And uh, I was just really smitten with the image that it generated. So I had it printed on a canvas. Uh, now nice. it's my home office. Nice, nice. Now, it, I mean, it can definitely do uh, cool things. I mean, I've seen, you know, my, my the thing that's always in my head is my 15-year-old son. When he, uh, it was late at night, he realized he had forgotten his biology homework was an essay. And uh, so we put it into ChatGPT, just, just a topic. And we were both surprised you know people <laughs> always talk about automation like doing more with less i was like man i mean there isn't anything better than that i mean less is kind of this happened in like five seconds and then more we both looked at it and we're like you know if you submit that the teacher's never gonna believe you did that so we had to <laughs> we had to dumb it down i mean it was definitely more with less um all right but 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 jokes aside i mean so, so here, here's a question. So we've, we've been thinking about this a, a lot. Obviously, we're in the automation business. We, we embrace AI in a, in a big way at, uh, at Workado. And, and really, the rationale is that what we think is 
we're almost on a on a new wave on a uh, on a new journey if you want think think about like epidemic right uh, uh covid uh digital transformation was was key i i remember one customer a, a brick and mortar department store chain uh that hadn't invested in online right they were in a bad situation and then they had to digitally transform like really really quickly and so it kind of like really made the point to me that you know in some of these waves there's there's winners and there's losers and you you kind of have to decide for yourself on on what side you want to be my feeling is with ai we're ahead of another such transformation wave because if my 15 year old son is any good indication like if you use that stuff you you might be on the winner side if you don't you might actually be on the loser side competitively uh out there how how do you guys think about this at uh, at bain like what do you what are the conversations you're having with uh, with clients yeah <clears throat> well i um i i probably had a couple hundred now conversations with with boards of directors with executive leadership teams uh with uh, chief Office, uh, officers of all kinds, information officer, operating officer, executive officer, financial officer. Um, uh, and I think the fascinating thing to me, having spent my entire career in technology, um, is that this is really the first time where non-IT business executives are expressing genuine intellectual interest in a technology, right? I think they've always recognize that technology could help them achieve particular outcomes. And so they've been interested in the outcomes and they typically said, I don't really care how the technology works. Let's talk about the outcome. Uh, and now, now they're saying, you know, explain to me how this works. Um, and I, I think, you know, I, uh, the credit for that really goes to how accessible uh, OpenAI made the technology back in November 30th of 2022. Um, you know, putting something that looks like a Google search field on a page and, you know, type in a thing and then having it have a conversational response that could remember the thread of the conversation, something we'd really never seen from uh, machine intelligence. It's sort of this incredibly easy to use and intelligible uh, uh, interaction that you can have with a machine. Um, and so what what I think that's done for a lot of leaders and organizations has caused them to start really thinking about what happens when I have human level intelligence, albeit with some challenges, which we can come back to, but human level intelligence um, for pennies on demand, accessible 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Um, and how does that change all the things that we do? And then the, the next leap from that is how does it change what our competitors can do? And that's when the real fire gets started, right? Because you start saying, gee, if I can do this, you know, the folks that I meet in the marketplace every day who are going for those same customers can also do this. And so then the next step beyond that is who are the people that I'm not even thinking about as competitors who can do something now? Um, and so I think what that has started is a, um, a, a level of urgency with executive teams that they need to understand uh, and they need to then uh, determine the right path for deployment uh, for this technology. And, and around maybe three key 
uh, areas. First is what I call better, faster, cheaper. Right? There's a whole set of things that we do in businesses that we do in the way that we do them because of an accumulation of behaviors over time. And it's a lot of human, uh, you know, human work that moves, used to move paper from one place to another, and now it moves digits from one place to another. Um, but all of it can be done more efficiently with machine intelligence and automation. The second category is how do I actually add capabilities to my existing products and services to make them better and to deliver really, you know, an improved experience to my, uh, to my customers. And then the third is what can I do that's really disruptive or what will be done to me that's really disruptive that I need to respond to. Um, and in best uh, cases, what we see companies doing is taking on all three of those challenges simultaneously, which is really hard, especially because it's moving so fast. And companies are used, especially the size companies that we deal with, are used to planning on annual budget cycles. And now we have something that is disruptive in the months and weeks. And so they're having to tackle all three of those initiatives simultaneously outside of the normal budget cycle. But they are doing it. I mean, I think there, there is a real recognition that this is one of those moments of change that uh, that is going to sweep through uh, through the market and 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 pick winners and losers. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. No, I think that's what we see out there uh, as well. So, <clears throat> if you think about this powerful combination of AI and 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 automation, right? And you said like obviously AI needs to be operationalized. It needs to be brought into into the business. Um, What kind of use cases are you seeing out there? I mean, we're obviously still very early. We're learning. I mean, there's, you know, OpenAI brings out like new features every every week. It seems like, but uh, so I, I, I don't think we're, you know, complete at any stretch of imagination. But what what are you seeing? What what are the early applications? How are how are people getting wins out there uh, uh, among your clients? Well, you know, I think one of the interesting things is you know automation for the time that you and I have been doing it, has most mm -hmm. often been applied to back office processes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in this case, with generative AI, what we're seeing is that the inflection point is with front office applications okay. in okay. these cases. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, number one is, you know, any sort of customer interaction. So it could be mm -hmm. customer support. It could be a part of the sales process. Um, uh, the... Um, ability to either augment humans to be able to improve the way that humans are supporting customers, uh, or even in many cases to supplant a human mm -hmm. in that interaction, um, that, uh, that this technology gives companies the ability to do so much more at scale than they can do with human beings. Um, you, you guys just had a really great speaker Uh, at your event, um, talking about the transformation of the interaction that they get from thousands of emails every day. You want to talk uh, about that? GA Talises, yeah, Daryl, Daryl. So he he's actually uh, uh, another guest on the on the podcast as well. I, I I really like him, and I really you know like how he's uh, thinking. We had a great conversation. Yeah, that that one was um, basically get classifying in a way, getting a lot of the challenge was that he was uh, getting lots and lots of inquiries and he had to triage it. And it was really hard if you 
thinking of like 30,000 or so that he had to deal with. And, and, and you know, he just didn't have the personnel to go through every single one of them. And in, in those 30,000s were like, I believe like 800 or 900, uh, like real orders that you should obviously look at <laughs> because that's at your peril you to, to ignore if you, to ignore those and then uh, other ones that were less important, but they had to be uh, routed to the to the right people. And he did so with um, open AI and getting it included and even like pre preparing a quote by doing the lookups in the systems uh, with the right parts and all of that. Uh, yeah, for him, it was magic. It really uh, it really helped his business uh, tremendously. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a great example, and it's one that we see over and over again. And um, so many uh, times what organizations have historically done is thought of that customer support interaction as being a cost center. And, you know, how do I drive out volume? How do I reduce it? And I think that if you then change the cost economics where those interactions are, are very, very inexpensive, that actually you want to increase those interactions, that you want to be able to reach out to a customer and say, hey, you just received our product. Do you have any questions? Um, you know, whereas I would have avoided that interaction in the past. Um, so I, so I, think, I think this is a great example, first of uh, cost of better, faster, cheaper, um, but then actually a change in the service offering um, to allow you to provide a better, more differentiated offering. So do what you do now, but do it even at greater scale, at, in a faster and more efficient way that then creates more value for your customer. Um, so, so that's one, one area. I think um, a lot of the disruption that we see is happening in communications. Um, mm -hmm. So an example is um, in the healthcare space, um, uh, one of the interactions that happens between patients and their providers, and then ultimately the payers, is um, that there are... Um, uh, what's called pre-authorizations that need to be requested. So, you know, your physician has recommended an expensive test uh, that you should go in for. Um, and uh, the healthcare payer, reasonably, because we're trying to control healthcare costs in the world, it wants to know why do you need this test? Is it really actually medically necessary? Um, well, now, uh, ChatGPT and other, other generative AI technologies like it can help the physician write that pre-authorization letter in such a way that it will automatically be approved by the provider or by the payer rather, right? So the provider writes the letter and the payer has to approve it. Um, and so those, uh, those, those communication chains start getting disrupted by the capability of the machine to be able to create the communication. Um, you know, the, the, there, there was a cartoon circulating a while ago that um, you know, one employee would say, I have these three bullet points, you know, send a long explanatory message to my colleague about this and a long message would be generated. And then you would see in the next frame, the other employee getting the message going, summarize this message down to the salient points and go back to the three bullet points. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. but, but, I, but I do think that there's all sorts of these places where companies should think about, you know, what happens in our employee to employee interactions or our employee to customer interactions or employee to vendor or vendor to employee, right? And, um, and how will generative AI uh, change this? And are we going to have bots talking to bots? Uh, and, 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 you know, first of all, how do we use that to our advantage? But also, how do we defend ourselves when, when the other, the counterparty is actually using it to their advantage? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it seems to me, I mean, if, if I think about myself as a consumer, right? So the one thing I really hate, well, I'm, I guess I'm impatient, right? So one of the things like going on the phone and then waiting in a queue that, I mean, it, it really gets me going. I, I, I hate it. I really do. So doing that uh, on a, on a in, you know, think about digital transformation, being able to do that on my mobile phone or even in a web browser that, that just calms me down. It's a good thing. Um, yeah. It seems like with Gen AI, there is kind of this digital footprint that I'm having. Let's say I'm having a conversation with someone from the company. Uh, it almost feels like the LLM then knows and I don't have to say that same thing again. Like it's, it's basically like instead of like having to now, uh, um, you know, uh, issue a ticket or something like that, you know, you, you can do that automatically because it's been said in some conversation. So why would you have to now in a structured form uh, submit it again, right? It seems like that that mm-hmm. unstructured data that's out there is now added to all the structured data and it just makes things, it, it, it removes friction in, 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 in terms of, of mm-hmm. my experience as a customer. Is that how people think about it, or is it, you know, are there other things that you uh, that you really that that goes through people's mind, through executives' minds when they when they think about AI? Yeah, I I, I think there's a um, if I go back to the separation between the three different approaches to applying mm-hmm. generative AI. Um, in the first case, in the sort of better, faster, cheaper world, um, I definitely think that the ability to um, have unstructured data replace structured data as at multiple places in that value chain um, is a critical part of why you're getting um, the improved value out of these technologies. So for example, um, I could give you a user interface, a graphical user interface as an employee um, that you would navigate through to check a whole set of boxes. And, you know, so I was just working with a medical device manufacturer, for example, it has such a custom app that they built for engineers uh, to um, file change order requests. Um, so you change something on the manufacturing line with a medical device that's a regulated device, you need to go through reasonably a whole set of, of checks and assessments to make sure that what you're doing is not compromising the ultimate safety of that product uh, or you know, safety of the physician or the patient that is going to receive that product. Um, and so you know, it, it's, it's actually quite complicated, right? You've got many, many different checks to go through and drop down lists and did I... Did I click on the right things? And instead, put a chat UX interface in front of that, right? You can incredibly simplify it. Take all that structured information that's on the back end and turn it into an unstructured conversation with the engineer. Have you considered the effect on sterilization, right? And have the engineer actually answer in written language, right? And and then be able to create the back end process necessary out of that unstructured interaction. So, so, so in that case, I think the, the example you give is good. The other two cases, I think, are a little bit different, right? I think um, when you start talking about, you know, adding uh, a new capability um, to an existing product, um, uh, and so, um, you know, an an example uh, might be in um, the medical space. I'll just stick with medical since we're, you know, since I started there. Uh, In the medical space, um, where I have um, a um, a patient that is receiving a particular pharmaceutical uh, and they have questions about it, right? Can they 
um, take uh, a chat UX interface to an interaction with the backend information rather than having talk, having to talk to a physician? And can I, as a pharmaceutical company, make sure that I've guided that interaction in a way uh, that is um, going to make sure that that patient receives the right information, right? And so there, um, I, I never had structured information, right? The, the guidance about how to use that pharmaceutical has always been an unstructured document. Um, uh, I'll give you another case. Uh, we Actually, something we deployed uh, for a supermarket chain in um, Carrefour in Europe. Um, uh, you know, instead of just going and grocery shopping, what if you have the opportunity to have a conversation about recipes? Um, and so, again, unstructured information, all this, you know, how do you make a, a, a banana flambe? Um, and what are the ingredients? And, and if, this is actually a great example, too, of then using automation on the back end to take the piece of it that's structured information and drop it into, in this case, the shopping cart, right? So now I've got my whole menu. I've got this fantastic dessert I'm going to make, banana flambe. Um, you know, I want to buy all the ingredients. Uh, well, the ingredients then become the structured information that gets dropped into a shopping cart and ultimately delivered to my door. Um, uh, so, so I think, I think that, you know, the, the, the interesting case there is not how do I um, get rid of structured information, um, but actually how do I take unstructured information, which is the, the parlance of the interaction, but then extract something structured from it. And then in the third case where we talk about um, things that are sort of truly disruptive, right, where you're saying, let me do something entirely new for the industry. Um, and, and here I'll stick with medical again. Um, uh, what if uh, we all had a personalized AI physician? So you've got your Apple Watch, you've got your uh, Aura Ring, whatever it is, all the devices in your home that may gather information about your health conditions and all that, that, that information is structured, right? But now it's going into a model which is producing the kind of interaction that we've always wanted to have with a doctor. You know, I'm not feeling well today. What should I do? Oh, well, you've been running a fever. Perhaps you have an infection. You know, you, you know my, my throat is sore. You know, what, what should I do? You know, look in the mirror and see if you've got white postules, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, and, and so that, that um, kind of interaction, again, is not predicated on converting structured information to unstructured information. Um, it's predicated on having a knowledge sense of what medical conditions are and how to interpret that structured information. But I don't necessarily want to output anything other than that conversation. No, I think that that makes total sense. And it just makes me think it's almost like it's almost reimagining the uh, experience that we have with with companies also. I mean, it, it's I mean, it's effectively like, you know, you, you mentioned ordering the stuff there uh, for a recipe. I mean, that's what we we would talk about a, to, to a friend about the recipe. And then we I guess before we assumed we had to then break it down into the into the pieces and order. Um, but no, with AI, that's not necessary anymore. I mean, it's like someone, you got your butler who, 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 who does that because it knows. And the interaction is actually very human and very, mm -hmm. uh, uh, very pleasant in a way. It's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of cool. So the, the one thing is a little different. And it's probably more for the process nerds uh, among all of us. I know you have a process redesign background. I did some of this in my past. Um, the one thing, and this is probably more on the back end side, but it it it, uh, it surprised me um, because we've always been 
almost trained or thinking about defining business processes as procedures, procedurally, you know, it's the steps, one step after the next step and so on. And then I saw an implementation with, uh, with gen generative AI that actually took a completely different approach. It used these new functions in, uh, in GPT and then basically just gave, gave um, possible tasks and then the prompt was almost describing the job description of that person, what the person would do. And lo and behold, it was incredible to watch how uh, GPT actually picked the right tasks with the right input parameters in the right order, almost as a declarative process. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Have you, have you, is this is this like out there? Is this kind of new no, stuff? No, no, this or, is coming. I mean, you, you this, this is happening. Yeah, I mean, this, so this goes back mm -hmm. to the comment I made earlier about automation and AI and the relationship between the two. And I think historically, we have thought about automation as being um, uh, a, a a very prescriptive task of understanding what the work is to be done, mapping it out, determining where in that that process map we could insert an automation designing that automation to perform that particular task. And then once we've created that programmatic code, it then goes, it it's tested, goes into production, and then needs to be managed. And I think the future that we're heading toward, which I refer to as a future of dynamic and disposable code, is one where we instruct the model to perform a particular task. It writes, it, you know, writes code, right? It's still, it's still executing a set of steps, right? But it writes that code in the context of that moment. Um, and once that code is executed, it actually will dispose of the code because if it's free to write the code, then if the next time you ask me for that task, things have changed, it's actually better to just write it again from scratch rather than trying to maintain some old code. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we'll, I think, see increasingly is, you know, first for simple tasks and then more and more complex tasks over time that we don't need to map out the as-is process and figure out how to automate it that what we'll simply do is describe the outcome that we want and the machine will figure out how to achieve the outcome. Um, the um, uh, one example I saw recently was, um, you know, send a collections email to all of my customers who are over 30 days late in paying me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how, how does a machine go about doing that? Well, you know, I use the automation approach and I have to map out every step, all the logic of, you know, who, who, what is a customer? What you know? What, do they owe me money? When did they supposed you know? What what does thirty days overdue mean? Right. Um, whereas the machine, you know, is able to actually interpret that outcome request and formulate the code on the fly to pull the data feed and analyze who's late and write the emails. And so all I get at the end of that process is here are the emails I'm going to send. Did you want to review them? Makes sense. I mean, it's mind boggling. I. I um... I just really think about this. I mean, you know the book, right? The the new automation mindset, uh, and we talk about these uh, these three things: the growth mindset, the process mindset, and the scale mindset. You know, everything that you've been talking about makes me think about this growth mindset because uh, almost like knowing about how we've done this in the past is almost like a barrier to reimagine what this could actually look like. I mean, it almost holds us back. In yeah, a, no, in a way, for sure. Uh, I wonder what you see out there. I mean, when you work with uh, clients, um, do you see any bottlenecks, any any friction points to the adoption of AI? What do you think in in terms of this growth mindset? I mean, do you feel 
we have to relearn certain things? Or do you see clients also being held back by the, by the old ways? Well, let me go back to that example of the medical device company that I mm -hmm. mentioned earlier. Um, so in working with the team on how to improve that process, the challenge was that they kept going back to their user interface, their graphical user interface. Mm -hmm. And so they would say, oh, well, we can add a checkbox. We can add another dropdown. We can fix this button. The description is bad. Let's fix the description, right? They were, they were very much anchored in the way of doing it in the past. And thus mm -hmm. the solution was to fix that old way. And it, it was very hard to get them to break out of that and say, wait, 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 wait. Let's talk about what we want to achieve. What would be the perfect outcome? You know, and, 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 you know, the, the breakthrough was, okay, now I imagine this is not practical, but what if you had somebody sitting next to the engineer who could have a conversation with the engineer? And so instead of ever touching a computer, the engineer was just able to describe what the change was they wanted to make. And that person was knowledgeable about all the things that needed to be done to review that change and could then ask the right set of questions and review that with the engineers so that together they would write the output that was needed for the assessments and the FDA approval. They're mm -hmm. like, yes, of course, that, that, that's exactly what we'd want. But, you know, we used to do that 50 years ago or 30 years ago, but, you know, obviously we can't afford to do that anymore. I'm like, yes, you can. Right. That's now, what. Now, now you can. Now you can. Again. Generative AI again. will be mm -hmm. sitting next to the engineer. Right. It won't be a person sitting next to the engineer. Right. And then it was like light bulb comes on. They're like, I'm sorry, what? Like the, the machine's going to be the person. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, we should flag all of the challenges, right? The, the machine is a statistical engine that will predict the right outcomes. It'll predict it based upon the inputs that we provide. Um, and so in the case of following FDA regulations, you need to make sure that you are providing those FDA regulations as a part of the prompt that you are putting into the machine um, so that you say, following these guidelines, what would be the right thing to do in this case, right? And so there, there, there are ways of steering the machine correctly. Um, and then when you get the output, you still need to correct it, right? You need, still need to look through it and say, oh, you missed this point. Um, but actually, one of the really interesting things that I also um, uh, am encouraging my, my clients to do is to say, use the machine for iterative passes. Like mm -hmm. you get something back and you say, terrific, thanks for that. Now, please review that and see if you can find places where you can improve it, right? Um, even just saying something like, you can do better than that, try again, right? You get a, you get a better response. It's kind, of, it's kind of weird that way, but it, it does actually work. Um, so we're just beginning to scrape the surfaces of how machines and humans work together in this new modality. Um, uh, but, uh, but I do believe if you, if you start with the right steerage and you end with the right correction, um, that you can actually have human level intelligence paired with every employee to get work done in a better, faster, uh, and in many cases, an entirely innovative and new way. Oh, that's fascinating. You, you know, the one, the one other thing we talk about the scale mindset, you know, one of, you know, when we started Workado, it was uh, started as a low code technology. And, the, and, you know, one of the, um, one of the ideas was that we, 
we felt very strongly that something like integration and automation uh, was a bad idea to just do that with three people in a central team for the whole company. It was it was a much better idea to get uh, you know try to get as many people involved as possible. Not not everybody, but you know a broad set of people and get them to be part of the team, involve them because because they knew a lot more better about the process than than the central team ever will. Um, I wonder with AI, do you feel that also that uh, that you know you, this should be broad, democratized uh, engagement, or how, any 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 learnings there so far? Yeah, no, it, it absolutely. I, th- I think earlier I mentioned sort of the three parallel paths that we see the sort of best um, uh, companies pursuing, um, and and my first one on that list is uh, individual work for productivity, and for that, yes, you want to give this technology to every employee um, mm-hmm. now. I think there's a lot of ways that that's going to happen. So um, I'm sure your company, like every software company out there, is rushing to add generative AI capabilities to your products. And so, you know, I mean, if I if I look at um, you know, the late, I mean, we all use Microsoft Office. Well, those that really really try hard not to use Microsoft Office, I guess, use Google Docs. But Google Docs as well will have these tools built in. Right? We're going to have all of these generative AI tools right there in our Office productivity suite. Um, and, uh, and then all the enterprise software, uh, every single enterprise software vendor is building it in, every tools vendor is building it in, right? So, so we're going to, as individual employees, get these tools, whether we want them or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the challenge for organizations is to help employees learn how to use them effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because it isn't obvious to everyone. Um, you know, I think you know, pe- people have said to me, oh, well, the reason you are doing this so well is you're a programmer. I'm like, yeah, I mean, there is a certain truth to that, right? Being able to think systematically, mm-hmm. um, uh, as uh, you know, and the book talks about that as well, mm-hmm. um, that that process, systems process thinking mindset, element, the process mindset, yeah, the process right? mindset, yeah. mm-hmm. exactly. Um, uh, you know, that, that actually is super helpful. Um, and I think it is in automation always been one of the gaps in having low code tools adopted. Um, because you can make the technology super easy to use, but if people don't think about things in a, in a, in a process oriented way, it can be hard for them to use those tools, regardless of how easy it is to drag and drop something. Um, but, uh, and, and, and even as easy as it is with prompt based, uh, tools, I think just constructing the prompt is not an obvious skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think organizations, um, you know, our recommendation is actually there's five things that, that an organization needs to do to broadly deploy this technology to employees. Number one, uh, is make sure you have a provided a safe place for employees to use it. Right. So don't have them going out to, you know, it's like, it's like saying, Hey, go use Facebook to get an answer to our corporate question. (laughs) Right. No, don't use publicly available free tools. Right. Go ahead and pay. Right. The, the cost per employee is substantially less than the value created. Um, if you don't believe that, start with a pilot, start with a, lo- a small number of employees and actually test and measure. But there's lots of research work out there that already shows that it's going to increase productivity. So you, you probably shouldn't worry about that part of it. But so pay for something, give them something that is a commercial use secure tool. Then number two, you still want to have um, uh, terms of use, right? So, you know, write a policy. Uh, make sure that you think through that policy about what you do and don't want people to do with these technologies. Um, then you need a third, a communication strategy, 
It's great. You you created a place for them to go and you have a policy. Nobody knows about it, right? (laughs) You've got to think through, like, how do I make sure that every employee knows where to go and what the right things are to do? And then fourth, which is sort of what started me down this path, is education. Because employees want help. They want want to know how to write a good prompt. Um, You know, going back to my comment about steerage and correction, right? They need to understand, yes, this machine can do something for you, but only if you as a human are really engaged in it. You know, don't push a button and think it gives you the answer and you can just send that answer off without reading it. Um, uh, and then in order to really encourage culture change, uh, you need an incentive program. So that's number five. Um, uh, what are you going to do to reward employees for the right behavior, recognize employees for the right behavior? You know, one of the things that we've seen to, uh, done well is um, you create a public uh, place where people can post, hey, here's the amazing thing I figured out how to do with ChatGPT. And then other employees can learn from that. And you recognize that, hey, this person has created something amazing that a lot of other people have benefited from. Give them a check, right? Nothing speaks louder than publicly saying, we are now handing Marcus $1,000 for this amazing thing that he's created and shared with the rest of the, of the, the company you'll create a real, real culture change that way. So, so those are the five things we, we think companies should do. I like, I like that advice. I really do. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about this. So, so, so kind of my, one of my ideas is, you know, after every episode, I wanted to kind of distill one nugget and then kind of put these, we, we're going to do 26 episodes, so 26 nuggets and, and see if we really learn something across all these, all these interviews. So what's going through my head at the moment is really the, your, your pieces of advice, the five pieces of advice. It almost seems to me like you're setting up some HR policies of how you're going to work with these digital brains. And so I'm saying HR because I do think after talking to you, we should we really have to rethink our interaction with machines. It's like they're almost like not. It's almost maybe the better ways to think about it, like their colleagues, like their coworkers or something. So there's policies of how I work with a, a coworker in terms of prompt engineering. Mm-hmm. I think there is uh, just best practices how I manage this as a. You know, just like I manage coworkers, I have a now a, a set of these digital brains, and I gotta manage them, and I gotta direct them, and I have to go through an iteration process with them. Get the, you know, get them, tell them, oh, well, you, I think you could have done better here, and and teach them, and and they're probably gonna improve, right? And so it's a, mm-hmm. it's almost like, and and then we have those interactions that are we almost have to reimagine like uh, from the old ways of, well, there's a user interface or this is how I inserted data into a machine. No, I think, think of like you're working with a colleague. And so these things are exactly. now possible. And, but I think it's going to take some time to, uh, oh, for people to, uh, it, to it, digest it, all of this. Yeah, no, I think it'll take time. But, but, I, but I actually think, um, you know, this is one of the really interesting things about technology over your and my lifespan. Um, we've made technology in ways that are more and more easily absorbed into our ways of working and our society and our culture, right? So if you think about, um, you know, personal computers, Mm -hmm. um, the first generation of personal computers, Mm -hmm. um, they were very complex devices, 
Um, and, uh, you know, very few people actually bought them and used them. I mean, mm-hmm. out of the billions of people on the planet, very few. Mm-hmm. And then if you fast forward to smartphones, right? The smartphone became a device because of the touch interface, because of the graphical interface. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the, the, all of the user uh, finesse that went into the design. And I mean, Apple gets, I think, an enormous amount of credit. They weren't, they weren't the first smartphone company, of course. Um, you know, there were smartphones before the iPhone. But I think the iPhone transformed the consumer experience of the iPhone, of the, of the smartphone. Uh, and Android benefited from that. But so by the time we had that technology, it was much easier to adopt. Um, and now I think with these AI technologies, uh, it's even easier. Um, and so when we drop them into a workplace, yes, there are things that we have to adjust about the way we work and think about work, but it's going to be substantially easier. I don't need to learn a programming language, right? I don't need to learn a whole series of complex steps to get the machine ready for the use for a particular purpose, um, right? You think about all the things that we've had to do with previous technologies and the bar is so much lower. Um, and so I think it'll be a much more rapid transformation. Um, just the introduction of, um, of vision, um, which now is broadly available. Uh, if you're a um, plus paying customer of OpenAI, you have ex- access to this today. And you can take a picture. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in an Airbnb and I've got a coffee machine that I've never seen before and I don't know how to operate. This happened to me recently. And I take a picture of it and I'm like, how do I operate this? Right. And boom, step-by-step instructions. Right. Uh, and that's, and I needed my coffee and I needed step-by-step instructions because I was operating that machine before I had my coffee. Um, but, um, but so, so that kind of, uh, of consumer level technology brought into the workforce, um, means that we're going to transform work super fast. Um, you know, I, I, I think, 2024 is going to be a year when we all realize that, you know, everything has to change. Like, I think today people are still on denial. I hear lots of people going, yeah, you know, I'll wait till it works. I'll wait till my vendor delivers it. I'll wait till, I'll wait till the cows come home. You know, no, 2024, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, about that. I think I actually need to totally change the way I work. I think it brings us uh, full circle with this uh, winners and losers. I, I really do believe. I mean, you know, if there were winners and losers in this digital transformation wave, I think maybe we'll see this at a grander scale uh, with, with AI uh, transformation. Because, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this uh, same thing. I was uh, talking to a distributor uh, today, electrical equipment, and we talked about, you know, how there's a lot of errors in uh, ordering in the in this business uh, because it's actually really kind of complicated you know you need to take your part and get to the serial number there's like big manuals and i think today with vision i mean you take a photo of the part and say like i want this i want like 50 of those and mm-hmm. and i think it's gonna work i mean it's uh, mm-hmm. and it's so much more high quality in terms of the if the if of the order entry i mean i i actually also believe i mean you were the first one who back then showed me a code inspector you know i think it has been renamed to advanced analytics um 
much better name, I think. I mean, I think well done on that one. I, I, I never understood why they called it Code Inspector in the first place. But, but, but I think that is uh, transformative. And, and thinking of bringing those kind of capabilities into business processes and so on, that's also mind-blowing. Uh, but I think, look, I, I think we could probably talk another hour or two here. Uh, but, uh, Ted, I wanted to say thank you uh, so much. That was another... Another great hour. Uh, I learned something again, and I'm, I'm glad that it's not just me, but the whole audience uh, learned something. And uh, yeah, I want to encourage everyone to get into into the AI stuff. I think both of us feel, you said it, right? It's 2024, 20, people will probably wake up and go like, oh, oops, wait a second. Maybe I should have started thinking about this earlier. I think the time, the time is now. So, so thank you. Thank you, Ted. And I would say like for the two of us to the next time, which will happen soon, hopefully. And for the audience, uh, thank you for, for listening in and uh, see you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you all so much for tuning into today's The New Automation Mindset, where AI automation and integration come together. If you want to learn more about the key topics we covered in the show, you can find them in the book, The New Automation Mindset by our Workado CEO, Vijay Tella. Also, leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of today's conversations. And don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. I'll see you next time. Thank you.